Hello. 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 I did it. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's amazing. So you know, sometimes it's just dumb stuff like <laughs> plugging in the USB cord. Did you did you did you blow out the pins? <laughs> I blew out the pins. I uh, I, bang, I, I uh, banged it on the desk a couple of times, and then uh, then I replugged it back in. That That's was good. it. That's good. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Hey, I'm all coffeeed up. How about you? <laughs> well, I uh, I've had. I haven't gone on my usual walk today because we were supposed to have a snowstorm and it ended up not being a real snowstorm, but um, I ended up not going anyway. But I have, uh, I've had two cups of coffee and I am starting on a cup of delicious tea from China. Oh, that's, does that take out? No, well, yes. Um, was it, it's, was it's a hell delivery? of a, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a, a price. I bet you got to tip that guy a lot. <laughs> well, well, I was the guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was I was my own tea mule. Um, yeah, so this is this is tea that I uh, purchased while I was in uh, China last year. Uh, some jasmine green tea, which is quite delicious, um, which I have been slowly uh, slowly drinking um, in the afternoons when uh, when I need to uh, ease back on the caffeine. Nice, that's yeah. uh, that's good. I, I like I like a good cup of tea. Um, I used to. Uh, uh, when I when I was growing up, my parents would both drink tea after dinner every night, hmm. and so so I, I did that for you know when I was I don't know ten to eighteen or something. And this is this is our um, my, this is going to shed light on my weird family. Um, so we would <clears throat> eat dinner and then do the dishes, and then uh, while the dishes were being uh, completed, we would uh, have the kettle on and uh, make some tea, and then we would all retire to the basement and watch Jeopardy. <laughs> well, I was I was right with you until basement and Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, that was the part that I thought might be weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird, Ben. <laughs> yeah, watch but watch a lot every, of Jeopardy with my family. Like every every night, it was very it's very odd. Every it's you know every family needs their traditions and their rituals. Yeah. I was our. In, in fact, um, my parents are so into game shows. It's more my mom than than my dad. Um, but they, uh, the only pay television television station they have is the Game Show Network, and my my mom uh, still watches like you probably reruns of those Jeopardy shows from the eighties and nineties. Uh, and uh, um, I, uh, so you and I saw each other in, in California last week. We did in real life, as they say. In, in real life, we, we, we shared, we shared a whole day together, um, and, uh, and a really nice, uh, meal. Uh, and, and after I left you, I went to, um, to Anaheim and to, uh, another meeting, which I'll talk about as we go on here. Mm-hmm. But, um, I had this down day in between our two, um, uh, you know, the time I saw you and, and this other meeting I went to, and I went and saw a TV show taped, which you and I know you and I talked about a little bit when we saw each other in real life, and I saw Chelsea lately being taped. But I've only ever seen one other TV show being taped, and it was my parents when I was in high school. <laughs> we went to California, and it, and we couldn't get tickets to Jeopardy, but we did go see Wheel of Fortune taped. So that was my other previous experience with uh, popular TV. My parents are also obsessed with Wheel of Fortune. Me, not so much. I would join them for Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, Je- Jeopardy is uh, – Wheel of Fortune is, is you know, great. And I used to – you know, I'm not a big fan of game shows. But Wheel of Fortune was one of those that I did find myself watching. But, but Jeopardy is way more highbrow, I think. Oh, for sure. 
It's the it's the hipster of uh, game shows. Yes, it's it's what all it's what people uh, it's all the indie people who watch you know will watch Jeopardy, <laughs> and the the mainstream folks watch. Uh, uh, Wheel of Fortune. That's the analogy I'm trying to make. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that there's, uh, I think there's something to that analogy. Um, so we had a, a message, a text message from our our good friend Michelle Daniluk about how we haven't mentioned uh, a certain somebody on our show for a while, um, and I'm totally gonna mention his name mainly because I'm drinking uh, coffee that he gave me. So, <laughs> Doctor Indian Clarified Butter. Uh, I'm still still have some Tim Hortons coffee that that is. Um, oh, that was my cup hit my microphone uh that i'm currently drinking so he was my coffee mule and you were your own tea mule <laughs> exactly uh oh also actually speaking of coffee mules um i uh i saw our good friend um andrew clark also oh. while i was in california last week and spent a couple of days <laughs> hanging out with him our good friend and noted coffee mule and noted coffee mule because <laughs> as i uh, i uh, met him for dinner and he walked into the restaurant with a AMP or Loblaws bag wrapped around a tin of Tim Hortons coffee. And he said, I don't think you can get this in, uh, in the U.S. And, and handed it to me. So that was awesome. So I've, I'm no, I guess I'm noted for my coffee mule, ex, uh, I, I don't know, re- receiving coffee from mules. That's it. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, you have a whole you have a whole a whole international network. I do, I do. It's um, it's the kind of stuff that gets people landed in, into jail um, or prison, I guess, not jail, prison. If uh, if you were caught um, uh, and you happen to be muling things other than than coffee, um, which I don't think I don't think will qualify as a as something that I need an import export ticket for. <laughs> no, and we'll and we'll go on the record as saying that uh, you know that we don't recommend that. Right, 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 and I'm pretty sure that it's dried. Like it's, uh, I would declare, I've, I've declared it every time. Do you have anything to declare when I come across the board? Yes, I have some coffee, and they don't seem to care. So, but in case people are muling other things that you do need to worry about declaring, please, we're we're not uh, we're not recommended you do that. Well, it's, it's funny. I think I may have talked about this in the <clears throat> the shows. Uh, around the time I was in Brazil, but there was a there was a, a visiting scientist there in Brazil who's good friends with a colleague of mine from Rutgers, and they they share and and this yeah, this is right in that uh, coffee tea line of discussion. Um, they share an affection for I think it's uh, I think this is right, and I think this is how you say it: uh, rooibos tea. And uh, so this this mutual colleague was going to give me some tea to take to my my colleague at Rutgers and this apparently this tea had been traveled well traveled around the world with many different places waiting for the two of them to to hook up to to meet and i think i think i he ended up not giving it to me because it was um it sort of, well, let's just say it looked like dried herbs, which is what tea is, but ah. could have could have raised suspicions at the border. So uh, he did not. Uh, he he decided against um, having me bring it back from Brazil. Instead, he brought it to the IAFP uh, meeting um, in Charlotte and then gave it to me. And then I took it back to Rutgers, not crossing state lines, of course, but not, but not, uh, not crossing, uh, any, uh, any, any international boundaries with this dried herb product, which as far as I know was, uh, rooibos tea. Good. Well, 
That sounds um, that sounds exciting. I don't know about rooibos tea. Um, is it is it just a special kind of tea leaf? Like what makes it so? What, 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 have you uh, tasted it? Does no. It Oh, okay. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna make me look this up. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's. You may have seen it. It's, 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 it's spelled. If you were gonna pronounce it the uh, way yeah. it's spelled, it's Ruibos. Yes. Right. So, um, but but I but I, I guess it's so it's a it's a legume. Yeah, it's a broom-like member of the legume family of plants growing in South Africa's. Finbos, as Wikipedia says, and as we know, Wikipedia is never wrong. So, um, okay, yeah, rooibos, uh, red bush um, is, the, is the literal. Oh, that's Afrikaans. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, interesting. But you haven't had it. You've not, you've I, not, not, not as far as I know. I may have had it in other teas. Um, uh, and, and if I have had it, I'm pretty sure I don't like it. Um, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I may have had it as an ingredient in other various teas. But it's not something... Uh, I think it. Uh, I think it kind of tastes kind of earthy, as I recall. Like uh, like beetroot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, well, well, that's exciting. I. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's thrilling. This is why people tune in, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know we know David Tharp's listening right now and thinking, when will they get to the good stuff? Well, I'm pre- well. I'm pretty sure he's not listening right now because oh, I true. just I just tried to call him before the call, um, and he was out to lunch because it was lunchtime. Um, Maybe he's listening to us right now at lunch. Could be. Could be. I'll I'll ask him when I talk to him later. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, so, oh, Don. Um, hey. So, um, so we have some follow up, and and then we got some stuff. To talk about, we got. Yeah. I, I think we have a big day. I, I really do. We haven't. It's been. It seems like it's been forever. Even though we saw each other last week, like we, it's been like three weeks since we actually have done recorded a podcast, and a lot's happened. Yes, and I and I have some follow up that's not in the notes that I'd like to follow up about, and I'm glad that you did some preparation for the show. I did um, some preparation uh, like quite some time ago, um, and then as as our usual fashion, you did a whole lot of preparation today. So I think between me doing stuff weeks ago that I've forgotten about and you doing stuff today, we should be able to put together a show. And yes, yeah, we I think we'll be we'll be just fine. And there's something that that came up just. In between my show notes, uh, time and uh, and when we recorded that, I want to talk about it too. So there's, cool. there's lots. Um, my uh, so the, here's here's the first piece of follow up. We'll do it a little bit of chronological order. Um, we uh, we received a message uh, from uh, from MJR, and I don't know if we if MJR. I don't see much. Do you think she would care if we said who MJR was? You just noted her as MJR. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, you think it – do you want to clarify that? Do you think it's fine that we can say what her name is or yeah. just refer to well, her? Okay. Let's, let's be let's, – I think people like the aura of, oh. of mystery. And so uh, I think anybody who, who follows food safety kind of knows who MJ-R would be. Um, yes. and, and we'll just let, we'll just leave it out there as a little bit of a mystery for people. Yeah. Okay. Well, she. This probably may tip it as well. She's been um, uh, involved uh, over the last couple of years. In fact, how I, I met her uh, or, or 
first uh, interacted with her, I've, I've actually never met her in person. Uh, but how I first interacted with her over email a few years ago was around the uh, raw milk um, discussion. And since we've uh, since we've now retitled the podcast over the last uh, four episodes, uh, raw milk talk. Right. Um, she uh, she she's been following the our, our uh, foray into this area and, and is is very much integrated into that um, that world. And then sent us a message um, in a string of a couple of emails, and, and you highlighted a couple of things that, that she said. So. Um, Quote, quote from her in an email, there's sincere interest in risk reduction. Um, and when I get into personal emails with questions around the long lines of what private tests should I be running to monitor my process? Can STEC, Campylobacter, et cetera, cause mastitis? Will my mastitis prevention SOPs detect it? Can these infections be subclinical? How important are the wood sidings of my milking area in the barn? Should uh, these be replaced with more washable material per grade A uh, dairy regs? And, and so that just to, to put that into context, these are questions based on, on our previous discussions in uh, episode, um, I guess, I mean, 55, 54, 55, 56 uh, on, on raw milk. And these are questions that, that MJ-R is getting from um, producers of raw milk who are interested in following somewhere along that continuum of good producer to bad producer or our, our continuum, moving towards that, that good side. So it's not um, – so they're, they're asking really, um, you know, really pertinent questions. And we highlighted a little bit of some of the discussion that we had from, with MJR in, uh, in the last uh, um, podcast. But these are very – like these are really specific questions that don't maybe have a whole lot of data on it because of a lot of the issues that we highlighted in those, in those last couple episodes. So – um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know any of the answers to this and I don't, I don't think that you do, but I guess the issue is we don't have data and that that's an issue. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, I, what private tests should I be running to monitor my processes? Well, gosh, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, well, I, and I guess as a, this, as a way to, kind of to segue into some of the follow-up that I had, you know, I think one of the things that we've talked about is this, uh, this group that we found out about when we started, you know, just sort of delving into this raw milk area, um, the raw milk Institute or raw me as they're called. Um, and they had uh, a webinar, uh, they had a webinar entitled, entitled, um, utterly safe milk. Um, and I guess utterly that's a, kind of a pun about cows, which have udders. Um, and they had, uh, the, it, as it says on their website, it's their third online seminar. Um, and this was last Thursday at 2 PM Pacific, uh, 5 PM Eastern. And, um, I didn't, uh, had, did not attend the first two, but a couple of people actually, and, and, uh, MJR might've been one of them. Um, and then there was another, uh, uh, raw milk person that I've interacted with on, on, uh, the comments of, uh, uh, David Gumpert's blog, um, have pointed me towards this webinar. And in fact, uh, I attended and it was a webinar by Mark McAfee, um, who is, uh, in fact, the, the chairman uh, well, as it says on the web page, he's the chairman and founder. I think they mean chairman, uh, chairman and founder um, uh, of Rami, uh, the Raw Milk Institute. Um, and he gave a, a webinar on um, the things that you need to do, uh, basically, uh, to produce raw milk. And 
It was an it was an interesting webinar. Did, you didn't go by any chance? You I didn't. Attend. I did. No. Okay. I, I, yeah, I was. Uh, I was on a plane. Mm, that makes it hard when I was like, going on. So, um, he had uh, he had some good advice. Um, I, so he said he said some things that I think were good and sensible. Um, he said some things that, you know, were not relevant to the safety of raw milk. He started talking about the benefits of raw milk and I'm not qualified to, to comment on that. And then he, I think he said some stuff that was not quite right. Um, but of course we don't, uh, as far as I know, we don't have, um, the, the Rami folks did not record that webinar and are not making it available as far as I know. Now, maybe, maybe they are, and I'll, I'll have to do a little bit more searching around on their website. Um, but I, I think, you know, Mark suggested some things that I think were good, but, but again, I come back to the question of what's the research base in support of this, right? And I'm not sure, we know the research base in support of it, or or the research is is not yet been done, or it's anecdotal, or you know maybe people are collecting data, but I wouldn't really call it research yet. So, I mean, it's good that people are asking these questions, um, but in many cases, you know, what tests should I be running to monitor my processes? Well, Mark talked a little bit about that. He talked about. Um, you know, some of the tests that you might want to run, but I'm not sure that we know necessarily which ones are the right ones. Um, I think the question, can Estec, Campylobacter, et cetera, cause mastitis? I'm pretty sure that they can't. I think uh, mastitis is caused by, by staph and some of those organisms. But again, um, we would probably need a um, a person, you know, with a veterinary background that could maybe comment more on that. Or, I mean, there, there may be information in the literature. We could go, we could go and look and see what's, uh, what's out there. I mean, th- that's a question independent of, of raw milk, right? That's the question is, you know, can these, uh, can these organisms cause mastitis? That's a, you know, rel- it seems to me like a relatively straightforward research question that somebody may have, uh, may have uh, provided the answer to. Um, will my mastitis prevention SOPs detect it? Um, I don't think SOPs are ever going to detect an organism. SOPs might help to keep the levels of the organisms down. Um, can these infections be subclinical? I think almost always an infection can Mm -hmm. be subclinical. The question is, um, is it, you know, how would you, I mean, certainly I think with respect to, to staphylococcus, you can have a subclinical infection and the way that you would detect that would be, uh, you know, staff counts in the milk. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, the, that Mark talked about in his webinar was the fact that if they have a mastitic cow, um, they just stop. If they have a mastitic, uh, teat, they stop milking from that teat. Or if they have mastitic cow, they just stop milking from the cow, which is certainly a very extreme response. But, but again, if you're trying to make raw milk safely, maybe that's the right response. Um, how important are the wood sidings of my milking area in the barn? Well, Gosh, I mean, wood is probably not the best surface, but I don't think we really have any kind of answer to that. Um, should these be replaced with a more washable material? I think that's probably a good idea, but but I can't tell you, like you know, the whole this whole idea of risk reduction and where you should allocate resources. You should allocate resources based on risk, but but I don't think. We have the answers to the questions so that if I said, look, if you have uh, $100 to spend on food safety, where are you going to spend the greatest proportion of that money? Um, I I couldn't begin to tell you because, number one, I'm not sure we know. And then even if we did know, I'm I'm not sure that information is available 
to folks like me that might be wanting to to educate somebody out there in the in the raw milk community. So, yeah, a lot of big question marks for me. Yeah, and and as I, as I read through these questions, and I, I keep coming back to the to the same point that really got us onto this raw milk uh, story arc um, in in the first place, which is a lot of these types of questions have absolutely been answered or similar types of questions have been addressed for other industries through cooperative extension. And and because this product is, you know, uh, not something that, um, that FDA uh, recognizes as a, as a legal product because some States have decided that, that it is legal. um, You've got this weird spot where, it's it's really difficult for um, for for people like like you and I um, who might work with these industries to help answer some of these questions. And and MJ Dash R is you know forays into that because she's in a state where um, where, where this uh, where, where raw milk is is legal and there's there's some support, but it's not you know there just isn't the the same type of push behind other industries. And I mean we again I don't want to. I don't want to keep dancing around in circles on this because I think that that's that's essentially the point that that you and I have both uh, made, uh, you know, over the last six hours of recorded podcasting we've had. Um, and, but but that's so it, it comes down to this like risk benefit situation or risk trade off situation of do do we have a responsibility to help people make safe food full stop. Or do we have people? Do we have a responsibility to help make people make, help people make safe food for specific types of industries um, that that the federal government um, you know sort of allows for? And, and it, that's a. I mean, some of these some of these questions are not. Um, you know, the 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 wood. You know, the last one you, you mentioned um, on the wood and the wood siding in the milking area is one that. Um, that probably requires, you know, more than, than a lit review kind of study like that, that probably requires some, um, some actual data. So I don't know. I, I keep, I, I, I keep coming back to, to that issue and I just like highlighting and that, that that's kind of the, that, that's the, that's the, the problem I guess that that we have. So I don't know, I guess I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. On here, but it, but it, I really appreciate um, you know, MJR and, and others who who keep asking us really good questions um, about this because I think it's it, it's worth us uh, uh, addressing. Yeah, I, I I agree, I agree completely. And as a kind of a, a segue to the next piece of follow up, um, one of the things that we talked about um, in uh, the episode with uh, with David Gumpert um, was this um, real food, real talk podcast. Um, and uh, episode number eight of that podcast on uh, raw milk revealed, and just as a kind of a related thing, uh, they have an upcoming episode where they're going to talk about the safety of cottage foods. Oh. Um, and uh, they've asked me to be on it. And so I'm going to do uh, an, a Skype interview with them uh, later this week. And so, of course, um, as you may rem- – did you ever listen to that? No, I have it. It's, it's, on, my, uh, it's on my reminder list. <laughs> Good. I still, I, I still have it noted. I know what you're talking about. I did not. I have not listened to it. Okay, it's good. They they interview a bunch of people um, 
short interview segments and then they sort of cut them together. So it's not a, not a real time conversation, but, uh, but again, just sort of an, uh, a produced and edited podcast. And so, uh, the next one up that they want to talk, the next topic that they want to talk about is cottage foods. And so that's a, uh, that's a, something that I, I can certainly have an, I have an opinion on, no shortage of opinion. So I'm going to record that, uh, later this week. And, um, I look forward to hearing what that, um, uh, what that, uh, what, what that ends up sounding like. And, um, so we'll do a little bit of a, a plug for that in advance. Uh, so look for that, uh, maybe out by the time this podcast is out. Um, and, and maybe, maybe you'll download that one too. <laughs> I might download it. Um, <laughs> Might download it and listen to it. Might just download it and not listen to it. Right. I don't know. I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, but but if we uh, we'll we'll link to sh- link to it in show notes. Uh, how's that? How's Absolutely. That um, before we we leave the world of um, risks related to to raw milk or raw milk products, um, this is something that's that's not in our notes. But there is a, a pretty sizable. Um, outbreak that was just reported uh since we reported the, since we recorded the last podcast um uh related to hispanic cheeses uh, again so this is um uh just to to read a little bit on this uh, health authorities from um center for disease control announced uh on um the 22nd of february that uh, they had been investigating an outbreak, uh, listeriosis, uh, linked to Hispanic cheeses. Uh, outbreak led to a death and seven other illnesses in Maryland and California. Uh, CDC reported that five of the illnesses, um, two mother-newborn pairs and a newborn, were related to pregnancy, and all patients are of Hispanic ethnicity. Now, the outbreak and the illnesses actually happened quite quite a, some time ago. Um, the first uh, illness was reported August 1st, 2013, uh, and then the last uh, one in this outbreak uh, comes from November, but it took some time to sort of connect it back to to a source. Um, and there, there was a little bit of uh, – so, I mean, it's a, a, it's a, raw, um, a raw milk cheese uh, that was linked to it, um, and this raw milk, this specific raw milk cheese, and there's been a bunch of recalls related to it, and it's uh, their, their cheese is produced by Ruse Foods of Kenton, Delaware. Um, and then it was actually repackaged in a, in a store, and the store um, that it was repackaged in is called Mega Mart. So back two weeks before the outbreak was announced at CDC, um, there was enough information about the product itself uh, from the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, that they went ahead and uh, and recalled the product. So, what, you know, piecing it together, I don't know the full story, but it sounds like VDAX um, pulled a um, a sample with a a, a a sample of the food um, from routine um, sampling, and then it uploaded it. My guess is into PulseNet, and then that was how the whole outbreak got solved or, or linked together, um, you know, over time. But, um, so anyway, kind of a, a, a big deal and always tragic when, um, when there's death involved. Um, but, but again, this is like a, it, it kind of highlights, it, it's like a different audience. I mean, we, we talk about the risks associated with raw milk. We here are talking about the risks associated with, um, listeria and soft cheeses with Hispanic community, especially pregnant women. And it just seems like over and over again, we have 
illnesses and and feti- you know loss of fetuses uh, associated with these products with with that specific um you know demographic and it just provides us with this this you know big challenge on on how do we how do we connect with um individuals who are you know potentially exposing themselves to um to a risky risky type product and you know uh, again, you, highlighting the fact that there may be benefits associated with this um, product, but the, here here is the real absolute risk that we can write down on paper from a public health standpoint. Right, right, and this this is an interesting outbreak because uh, so there's one case in California, there's a bunch of cases in Maryland. They all happened quite some time ago, um, and. There, there. Clearly, this is a product that is being eaten by the Hispanic community. I wonder how many other states um, um, this product is being eaten. I wonder how many other cases of listeria there are that have that have been um, associated with this product. Sorry, can you hear that? That's a snowplow. Yeah, good. <clears throat> just, just clearing off the roads. Yeah, clearing off the uh, the two inches of snow that we got. Hey, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> I would, I would, I would love it if a snowplow came and took two inches off here in North Carolina because it would have reduced chaos. Anyway, I know. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, <clears throat> we were supposed to get a lot more snow and <clears throat> ended up getting not very much. But I guess it's good that the snowplows are out. Um, and, it, and mainly, it's good because that means I'm not teaching at Campbell Soup um, today, and I can record this podcast with you because we 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 Perfect. rescheduled the course in advance of the massive snowfall that we didn't really have, <laughs> but. So, again, one case in California, seven cases in Maryland, linked to cheese, this Hispanic-style cheese, um, not raw milk cheese, right? This is pasteurized as far as we know. Um, it's, it's been produced by this Ruse Foods of, of Kenton, Delaware. It's repackaged in this grocery store, but was it repackaged and then did that product then go – to Maryland and California, or was that only repackaged in one state? Um, there's just so there's so many things that we don't know about this. Like, I mean, could there be other cases? Um, obviously, <clears throat> this could the source be. The source could be the supermarket where the product was repackaged. The source could also be the processing plant, the Ruse Food Processing Plant itself. Um, you know, does this? What other foods does this plant, this processing plant, make? Um, you know, I, I don't know. There's just, uh, I just, I guess, have a very distinct feeling that this is just maybe a fraction of the story. And unfortunately, as is often the case in food safety, we may never have the full story. And. Uh, you bring up uh, an, an interesting point, and, and again, this will show my naivety towards um, you know typing you know listeria. But but are we looking at maybe a common fingerprint here? And you know maybe maybe these things are not related, or or or, or they are, but but it's you know there's it, the fact that that this the outbreak strain or something that looks like the outbreak strain was pulled. Um, from this supermarket may may be a, somewhat of a, a coincidence based on um, how much of that uh, outbreak strain exists in the um, uh, you know out there, or as you, as you mentioned before, it, it may be 
that it's related to the plant um, somehow, and these were other products that that were linked, and or or there's you know as as we know from from lots and lots of literature that uh, often it, it is difficult to get uh, a listeria that's established itself into in a niche out of processing plants. Um, so it, it could be, as you said, just sort of scraping the surface and maybe this has been around for quite some time. And thanks for, you're right. Um, I did miss, misspeak there by saying it was a raw milk cheese. It's just a soft cheese. It's not raw milk as far as we, as far as we as far know. As far as we know, no, nothing, yeah. nothing ever. I've, I've been reading the reports right. very carefully and nothing says pasteurized and nothing says raw milk, right? So it's not, it's unclear. I'm assuming the default is pasteurized, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, again, th- this is the, you know, the, the kudos to our colleagues in the world of epidemiology um, and, and having all the respect in the world for, for that, that group. Um, you know, you've got these seven illnesses and a death that, that happened quite some time ago. And and folks are still diligently trying to look for links or or keeping their eyes open when when a link does happen, um, and, and it's not as you know, uh, it, it's not as simple as as what we often hear when we when we sometimes talk to the to industry um, about um, you know that there's no direct connection or or let science sort of prove or disprove things. This is there's a lot of. Um, there, there continues to be a lot of uncertainties in a lot of these outbreaks, and and this is this is one that that has you know we still don't have all all the we got lots of questions just by reading about it. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we have there's another piece of follow up uh, in here from from Dina, and I hope I don't I think that's how you pronounce Dina's name right? I think Dina. so. Yeah. Um, and so Dina um, Dina Seidenberg is our friend um, at IAFP. Uh, and she uh, sent a, a follow-up uh, a question to us uh, via the website. Um, her message was, I had a person indicate to me that soap wasn't necessary in washing hands if you just get enough friction when washing hands under running water. I've never heard of this. Any validity to that statement? Um, and so this is, uh, you know, this is a pretty, pretty, good, uh, pretty good question for the two of us because uh, <laughs> I think we, uh, both of us like hand washing. And, um, you know, here's, here's how I kind of tackle that, uh, that question. Um, what, what does it, what do you mean by washing hands? You know, is there some sort of, uh, a a limit that we're looking for? Are we looking for a one log reduction or a two log reduction or a three log reduction of any, uh, anything that might be on hands? Cause we do, we know that that friction matters. Uh, and especially if you've got, rushing water, um, the friction is going to knock anything that might be, or not, uh, some things that may be attached to hands, uh, loose. And then the rushing water is going to dilute that away. Um, and Pete Snyder's talked about this a lot. Um, soap helps that process. Um, so, so yeah, there may be, you know, the, the way that I kind of, um, would attack this is you, you may get a reduction. In fact, you probably do get a reduction. Um, would it be better if you use soap? Probably. Um, would it be better, uh, depending, you know, depending on what kind of soap you use or how much water is, uh, is coming through or what friction rate, you know, all these things are variables that are going to impact the, the efficacy of that, that hand wash. Um, but, uh, on a sort of very basic scale, rubbing your hands together, 
um, under some running water will, in, in my mind, we've got data that would show that, yeah, that's, that's going to remove something. Um, is, it, is it the best practice? Probably not. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that almost word for word. It's better than nothing, uh, but it's probably not best practice. And one of the things that my graduate student, uh, Dane Jensen, who I think used to listen to the podcast, I don't know if he he's has just time anymore. He's, he's downloading it now. Yeah, um, but he's doing some research asking this very question right now, looking at uh, the presence and absence of soap. Um, even the volume of soap may make a difference. You know, Whether you use one pump or two um, may make a difference. And so we don't. in many cases, we don't know the answer, answer to um, these these questions, but um, certainly, um, you know, better than nothing, but um, not a best practice. I think we uh, we almost agree 100 percent on that. Yeah, and so so I guess to just to circle back to um, to to the original question, yeah, there. I mean, there is some validity to it. You know, that's that that it, it may it it would do something, but um, uh, not not maybe as much as what we would define as as good hand washing. Indeed. Um, so here we, you and I, we've run into something here. Uh Oh, <laughs> well, no, it's a good thing. This is, this is uh, audience uh, participation uh, uh, part of the show. I think, although no one's actually currently listening in real time. So it's, so there's going to be a delay, but we, I, I believe, have we not finished our full history of IAFP now? Cause I- we, I, th- I think we have. I think we have. I think we've – so just to, to go back for maybe someone who's a new listener, we started uh, about 40 episodes, 30 episodes ago maybe, talking about the history of uh, – well, bug trivia, first of all, that came from Carl Custer. And we ran through a bunch of pathogens uh, and then uh, ran – you know, Carl Carl ran out of trivia stuff for us to talk about. So we moved on to the history of uh, of IAFP. Um, and, and now, um, we don't really have anywhere to go for this little segment. Um, but I have, I have, oh, wait, we, we, but with the last time we did this, what was the 1990s, right? Yeah. Is so there a 2000? I, th- I think, isn't there a 2000s? I don't think so. I, really? Can we have the history of the 2000s all at, I mean, it was only 14 years ago. Should we even bother? <laughs> the recent history of food safety. I mean, it's probably whoever wrote it, it's probably going to get mad. Okay, how about this? Let's let, let's not. I, it may be in there. Let's not do it this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry to spoil your. Uh, no, it's fine. Plan, it's then. fine. I just assumed that there was that the 90s was as far back as I mean, really. As we no, there's a two, there's a 2000s. Okay, so let's let's do this. Let's say for 58 uh, episode 58, we'll do 2000s. Okay, but for 59 going forward, let's do something new. And what what I would like to know from from the listeners, or here's my suggestion, and I'll see if you have a suggestion. But I, but I think um, I, that there are some specific papers or specific outbreaks that have happened that are seminal to to what you and I do, what we're interested in, and I'd like us to to sort of bring those to do a little. You know, let's let's talk about you know Jack in the Box or you know Jack in the Box is probably not not the greatest one because it's kind of overplayed. But there are certain things that that come to mind as influencers on our career on things that we think are are important. Um, and so maybe uh, you, you know in a in an episode 
where we don't get any suggestions uh, from the audience, we would default to some of those, uh, you know, those papers or events. Uh, but what I'd like to do is throw it open to, to the audience and say if there are certain things that they think are important, seminal, you know, landmarks in, in the world of food safety. And I'll, I'm like, you know me, I'm all hippie and, and open and unstructured. I would, you know, I, I'd throw that open. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to, um, uh, keep it within scope any more than that. Just stuff that's, that's, that, that our, our folks that listen to this think are important, um, that will, you know, send it to us and then, uh, we'll take a look at it and, and see where, where it fits in. How, what do you think about that? <laughs> I'm just springing this on you. Um, in, in fact, the note says, where do we go now? I think I think that sounds fine. All right. Well, let's do it. So what are we going to call it? Because <laughs> you know why I need to know this, right? You've got to develop I'm, a song. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a bed track, as they, uh, as they say. Is that what they say? Know, someone says that. I don't even know if that's the right term. <laughs> um, so so, so what, do we, what do we call this thing? <laughs> uh, outbreak flashback? Outbreak flashback. I'm I'm good with that. Outbreak flashback. Um, that seems like there's going to be a whole disco theme to that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Or maybe it's 1960s. It could be. It could be. It could be. Um, it'll always summer it'll, of love. Yeah, it'll always sound like the birds. Right. <laughs> uh Okay. Well, let's, let's do that. Okay. All right. So, so we will, we'll come back to the two thousands cause I erroneously left that out, but I mainly because of my bias towards the two thousands and not really being history. We, we could, we could do it today. Oh, well, if you've got I'm, it, I'm I, ready. Well, if you're ready, let's I'm do ready. it. Okay. You do it. And then I'll see if I can add something into it. Okay. Cue the uh, bed tracks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So, Oh man, I don't I have to figure out how this is going to sound like all grungy. Slow history of IAFP. Perfect. 2000s. So, so the 2000s review was led uh, by by our friends uh, Wendy White and Michelle Daniluk. Oh, they'd so be mad if they're, they they're mad, yeah. So um uh, as they write, uh, the decade uh, started with the year 2000, uh, and it began with a bang as the world waited to see if all the precautions that had been taken would prevent the dreaded Y2K meltdown. Um, so it, uh, as they write, it was a fitting start to the 2000s as fear of a technology failure ushered in a decade in which technology impacted almost every aspect of protecting the food supply. The way we communicated about food protection issues changed significantly from paper reports to online newsletters to email messages and blogs, even through online social media. The time it takes to learn about an outbreak was shortened from months to weeks to days to an instant. Um, as they write, uh, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, uh, and other attacks that followed led to realization of the vulnerability of our food supply. So certainly uh, bioterrorism or counterterrorism uh, on the food supply um, was, was an important issue. Um, uh, in terms of uh, bacterial pathogens, uh, a lot of papers on E. coli, um, um, uh, a little bit fewer on salmonella, a little bit fewer on camp, uh, on listeria, followed by, uh, uh, significantly fewer on campylobacter and then 
uh, 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 uptick, a, a significant number, but still small, relatively speaking, on Enterobacter sakazakii, also now called uh, Chronobacter. Um, so, uh, so, so that, that, that's, uh, sort of the, the, the snapshot in terms of microorganisms. Um, of course, a lot of interest in processing and preservative technologies, a lot of interest in anti natural antimicrobials, um, some research on UV light, electrolyzed water, ozone, chlorine dioxide. So moving to sort of alternate, alternate, uh, types of processing technologies, um, uh, they, there was some interest in uh, consumer uh, handling. Um, uh, let's see, uh, interest in uh, listeria, the link between listeria and ready-to-eat food. So starting to see some some large-scale surveys on that. Um, you know, starting to see some interest in terms of um, FoodNet, uh, foodborne disease component to the CDC's EPI program. So uh, FoodNet and then uh, PulseNet begin to really take off. Um, lots, lots, lots of stuff. And they, they conclude uh, their section uh, with this paragraph, which I'll read to you. As we conclude this review of the 2000s, it's hard to predict which of the trends or research articles published in this past decade may be most influential in years to come. The committee hopes that you have enjoyed our review of the manuscripts associated with with JFP over the 100-year history of IAFP. To end our review, we'd like to reiterate the words of the first editorial section published in JFP. This publication would not exist if it had not been for the devoted and intelligent work of inspectors in the past. Without their work, our present achievements would not be... would, would I think there's a typo there. Our present achievements would be impossible. They found that in... Uh, we re- <laughs> some typos in hand filled. Yeah, um, uh, we remodeled and extended. Old timers, we salute you. Uh, uh, JFP is not something different. It's uh, uh, the old one. Uh, it's- <laughs> God, this- <laughs> it, it was different. It was. This different needed some there. copy editing, I think. Yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, we're we're at the the cutting edge, the the literal cutting edge. Uh, uh, ouch! I just cut myself. Uh, uh, the expression of the growing edge of our profession. So with that, with that, Ben, that ends the two thousands. Excellent. Well, Don, thank you. And I should highlight that probably one of my papers for the seminal paper was mentioned directly in this 2000 history thing on the 2003 review of consumer handling in the home from Liz Redmond and Chris Griffith, um, which has kind of become this cornerstone of the stuff that I do. So um, so I was, uh, I, I guess, uh, not just erroneously left it out, but uh, would have missed something. Um and uh, as you were reading it and thinking about how this reflect, reflects on my life, I almost never, while I'm listening to a song, listen to the end of it. So if we, if the review of the history of uh, of IAFP was a song, I just wouldn't have listened to the to the ninety or to the two thousands. I would have fast forwarded to the next one. I don't know why that is. It's just so something I do. Drives my wife crazy. You should talk to a. I think you need to talk to a shrink about that. That sounds I, like a serious problem, Ben. Seriously, I, is that not what we do here? <laughs> I kind of thought you were my shrink. <laughs> Have I misunderstood this from the start? <laughs> I know we're on episode fifty-seven. I just assumed that I was trying to. I got to talk through some of these things, and you're my guy. <laughs> is that, did I get that? I got that backwards. That's what. That's what that laugh is. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess either either I should be sending you money or you should be sending me money. Whatever. Yeah. However it's supposed to Maybe work. it's group therapy. It's it must be group therapy. <laughs> oh damn. Um 
Well, good. Okay. So, so we got that, we got that sewn up. Um, I want to talk to you about pizza. Oh, I want to talk to you about pizza too. Oh, okay. I actually had some follow-up oh, okay, related good. to that. We've kind of jumped past the follow-up time, but we did. Um, that, so let's, let, let me, let me tell you my pizza story first okay. and then, and then you can go on to your thing. Okay. So, um, one of the so uh, Kristen and I, my wife and I, are big fans of Alton Brown, and he has a great uh, show uh, called Good Eats. Uh, I don't think he's making it anymore, and and he's been, I think, in in the food science community, he's been looked to as a guy who does a pretty good job of getting the science right while popularizing um, cooking. And he's done some, some things that, you know, the, the, the chef competition things that we're just not into no interest whatsoever, but, but he's really done a, I think a very good job of sort of popularizing food science or the science of food. Um, and we had a recent opportunity, uh, to see him live. So he's, he has a, a live show that he's taking around the country and he performed at the state theater in New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, recently in this, uh, back in, in, in February, this past month. And, uh, we went to see him and it was great. He did a fantastic job. He's a very funny guy. He, um, as he explains it, the, um, his live show is very much like the the Good Eats uh, show, but you know a little bit more. He not quite uh, uh, suffers the restrictions that uh, that that network television um, uh, provides. So he can he can be a little bit more um, over the top. He he can do he can do audience participation stuff, which is where the pizza thing comes in. He did some songs. Um, he has a song about food poisoning, which I think he I don't know the way he told it. I think he might have got some of the facts wrong. But generally speaking, as a as an advocate for for food science or the science of food and for doing things safely. I would say in the world of celebrity chefs, if you can call him a celebrity chef, he does a pretty good job of, of getting the, the science and the food safety right. But the, the, this, the, the thing that I want to relate to you, so he did, uh, he did this whole thing about how when he was a kid, he wanted um, an easy-bake oven. And, of course, you know, because of sexual stereotypes, boys don't get easy-bake ovens. They get you know, action figures or, or whatever, you know, um, army men or cars or guns or whatever. Um, but he wanted an easy-bake oven. And he sort of played that into his current desire to make what he called the mega-bake, which is a, a giant easy-bake oven that instead of having two 60-watt bulbs or 200-watt bulbs or whatever the original easy-bake oven was, this is basically a life-size oven that uses lights, like the lights that you might see on a stage show, to cook things. And so he brought out his mega-bake oven. Um, there was a little bit of a a spinal tap reference uh, where he 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 announces the oven and then this tiny little easy bake oven comes down from the ceiling um, and and it's not the right it's not the right oven but then the real oven comes out and it's it's you know humorous and everybody that you know sort of laughed at the they got the spinal tap reference got that so um, but he brought uh, somebody up from the audience and they made pizza and so he takes and of course it's, he's pretty humorous and he's good with the audience members and they're and they're they're making this this dough for the pizza they're rolling it out and then he's getting the the audience member to throw the pizza up in the air and and then she she like drops the pizza and it falls on the floor and he picks it up and she goes back to making it and then they do this thing where they're throwing the pizza dough back and forth to each other and at this point both of their pizza doughs fall on the floor 
and then they finish making the pizza and then he does this big long thing while the you know the the she has to, the the audience member has to crank this crank so that the pizzas move back and forth under these lights um, and then at the end they take the pizzas out they cut them up and then she carries her pizza back to the audience to give to her family well my question to you is and I know you know I mean I know that I know the answer but um at least I know what my answer would be, but but would you eat a pizza that had fallen on the floor, Ben? Um, so, and, and just to, to clarify, the pizza that fell on the floor was the dough that fell on the floor, and then it went into the easy big oven. Right, right. right. Yeah. It, yeah, so Not it, the pizza it, itself that fell on the floor. Um, yeah. Right, so the dough, yes, exa- yes. you're exactly right. I, I, I misspoke. You're right. The dough... That, that constitutes the base of the pizza fell on the floor multiple times, both pizzas. Yeah. Okay. So, and then so, it was put back on the countertop. It was, you know, you put down um, yeah. tomato sauce and cheese and I guess some pepperoni and he had some uh, um, Taylor ham, which is a New Jersey product or pork roll, whatever. There was some disagreement as to what he had. Um, but anyway, some New Jersey specific meat <laughs> that he put that he put on the pizza. But would you eat that? Yeah, I would eat that. Okay. Um, I mean, I I would look at that as as really really low risk. I'd be more worried about that dough picking up something, uh, some you know physical hazard uh, from from the from the floor. But but I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be uh, super concerned. Uh, about it, I think to me it's it, it's pretty low risk. Um, if it did pick up some sort of a pathogen, I hope that the hot, uh, easy bake oven lights um, <laughs> said said with uh, Richard Fingers um, would uh, would take care of it. But but yeah, I mean I, I'm. I, I, I I'm I don't see that as as a, a risk in my in my pizza eating. I might end up with something gross, um, but not uh, not from a foodborne illness standpoint. Okay. Would you Would you differ from that? Well, let me let me ask you a follow up question before okay. I answer. Um, would you go to a pizza restaurant that routinely had a practice of dropping pizza on the floor and cooking it and serving it to customers anyway? I would not. Ah, uh, yeah. That, now there, there's now, a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now 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 explain to me why ah, there's that difference, Ben. Good. Good. Um, so I, I guess that in, um, in, in my world, um, I would look at the dropped on the floor in, you know, in the, the Alden Brown display as a, as an amateur making pizza and as a one-off event. If, if I went to a restaurant that, that routinely that did this often and didn't seem to care um, about, um, that specific practice. And I saw it multiple times. Um, I would start looking for other things that they might be doing, uh, incorrectly. And I expect them as professional pizza makers that they wouldn't do that. So, so I guess that's the, you know, it's kind of like how I would treat food safety in my home sometimes versus if I was making food for, uh, for other people, or, I mean, if, if I was trying to run a business and the likelihood of me picking up something and in a, in a business situation and, you know, serving it and that leading to, um, uh, some, you know, uh, piece of hair or something, you know, whatever might've been on the floor, uh, in there, it's, it's not a good, um, meal experience, uh, for me. But again, I don't think the risk of it differs all that much. 
but I'm but I'm I'm clearly not the mathematician of us of the two of us. <laughs> I'm clearly not a mathematician either. Although right. apparently I play one on this podcast. You do, but, you do. Um, yeah. yeah, and and that's I and I think that 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 is uh, I I wouldn't add a bit to that. I think you you've essentially you've essentially nailed it. I worry I worry a little bit because it's not you know me and Alton in my kitchen making pizza. Right? It's Alton Brown on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Telling yeah. him this is okay, and 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 so, you know, there's a little bit of a a concern there, um, you know, See, and yeah. you know that. So so I, I guess I worry a little bit about the message, but you know, it was all in good fun and it was entertaining, and you know, uh, whatever. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, write him a nasty note or insist that people boycott the show, but but it did. I don't think it sent the right message, but. Uh-huh. Um, I, it would have been much better if he'd had all that fun and then had said, well, you know, we expect this to happen. By the way, we've got two, two dough, you know, pieces of dough that we've already stretched and formed and everything. And, and they've been sitting here, you know, sort of in, in our back pocket. And now we're going to make the pizza with these and we're not going to drop these. So, you know, but, but whatever, it, it was entertaining and, you know, got huge laughs and, and the audience loved it. But, but I, I, I worry a little bit it's sending the wrong message. Well, that's, I mean, you bring up a, a, a good point. In fact, we've got, a project looking at this right now. So one of my grad students, Ben Raymond, who you met um, uh, a couple of years ago or a year or so ago at the um, norovirus meeting that you and I were at in, in Atlanta, he, um, as part of his his master's work, has been looking at how to cook videos on YouTube. Um, and and this project is is not noro related. It's really focusing on on the Aztec. Uh, uh, beef project that that I have or that I'm part of, and and so what he's been looking at, um, he he uh, created a survey to find out if you were to ask just people in the online population how they would search for burger videos on YouTube, what kind of search terms would they use? So so he he came up with sort of a a, a, a criteria to start looking for for videos and then he um then he he ended up uh arrived he 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 viewed i think it was 87 videos total based on um uh, how many views that each individual um video had plus uh where it landed uh, in the first uh i think it's 10 pages of of the youtube search um but anyway i mean that's just a some of the methodology um, particulars, but what he what he was really interested in was all right. If I just go learn how to eat a burger, how to cook a burger, if I'm, if I'm posing as just Joe, Joe or Joel consumer, um, how do I go? You know, figure this out. What are the best things to do, and what kind of food safety comes up? And so he was looking at it as the you know the the concept that you just kind of talked about on on model behavior. So is there anything? Um, spoken or unspoken and what do people um, show or demonstrate in a how-to video that may be risky and I mean he it's pretty staggering it's not it's not completely surprising it's not surprising at all but out of the 87 videos that he that he coded um, one video um, uh, made reference to uh, and, and actually demonstrated how to use a thermometer um, and these totaling, I mean, the videos had totaled something like 26 million views. Um, and that one video that, that modeled that, that positive behavior was not 
a celebrity chef or an amateur chef. It was the Beef Information Council's video that actually had quite a few views on how to how to grill a burger. Um, but but I mean, it's the 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 positive behavior from a modeling standpoint is is just not. You know, in in that in in his part of his study that that he's shared the the data with me is not just not there um, at all. So I so I get I get your your point on it would have been a good opportunity for for Alton to maybe talk about that you know that risk and and actually it would have been more interesting in the audience I think to hear why or why he why or why not he would um, continue to use that pizza. You know, to to have that discussion because he probably arrived at similar um, reason as what what you and I have, but to, but to have him sort of talk about that to the audience would be would have been interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, I yeah, I see I see what you're I see where you're going there. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, um, th- thanks for your thanks for your comments. No problem. I, there's two. I got two other Alton Brown things. One sure. is do you follow him on Twitter. I had to stop because it's just so goddamn annoying. <laughs> I can't. It's like. Just ridiculous. Learn to type, buddy. Yeah. I just, I, I just, it just was too. It's like, so everybody else's tweets I can read. His tweets I have to click because he, click, he, yeah. because he puts a post-it note with. I mean, it's just, it's just, it was cute at first, and then it's just like it just got annoying. So I had to unfollow him. Yeah, I, it's it's pretty hilarious. So yeah, for our listeners, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't tweet. He just takes a screenshot of a post-it note that he's stuck to his Twitter timeline that he's written on with a marker. <laughs> it seems unlikely that he, he doesn't know how to – like that's, this is just his thing. Right, um, right. Also, did you know – and this is – as you were telling your story, I wanted to look up how Alton Brown got into what he does. I It, it just talks that he ran a um, – a cooking show in, in Chicago back in the late nineties. But did you know in the late eighties and early nineties, he's a cinematographer for several music videos, including the one I love by REM. I, I did not know that, although he's from Georgia. So that's actually not surprising. Yeah. Uh, and I knew he did have a, he has a, a, both a cooking and a theater background. So he's a very, he's an interesting guy. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, cool. He's uh yeah, he's entertaining. Um, and and you're right. I I think a lot of the time he he gets quite he he does his homework to get a, a lot of a lot of it right. Like he he really wants to describe what what's happening uh, food science wise, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my pizza thing. Sure, go. Um, and you you put, threw this into our notes. Uh, something that um that I felt moved to write about uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a um. A paper that was um, uh, released, or sorry, was published in the Journal of Applied Microbiology. Is that your? That's not one of the ones you're. You're the editorial board. No, I'm. Well, I'm an editor for Applied and Environmental Micro. I'm not on the editorial board of Journal of Applied Micro, although I have published there. It's a. It's a good journal. Yeah. Okay. So, and and this the paper itself is actually not not you know not the issue. So the paper. Um, was uh let me just pull up the abstract it was from some folks at uh, uh gilling um at all 2014 from uh arizona um sorry let me get that right i think it's yeah i think it's arizona or maybe arizona state um anyway what uh what these folks did was they took um the uh oregano oil um, and uh, a 
common, um, I guess, the component of oregano oil as an uh, as an essential oil that that has some antimicrobial properties, and it is called karst. Where is it? Um, uh, 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 gosh, I can't even pronounce things. It's like I'm choking on my words today. Carvacarol. I don't know. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Oh, Did yes, absolutely. Right? Yep. Um, I, I have to look at it and see it, but no, I know, I, I know, I know what, I know where you're going with this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they took this oregano oil and then they took the, um, uh, the, this, this component of it and <clears throat> they, um, uh, evaluated whether it had any effects against murine norovirus <clears throat> as a surrogate for, for noro. And so, um, just straight from uh, from the paper, this is how it's characterized by the authors. In the present study, oregano oil and its primary active component, uh, carvacarol, were evaluated for their antiviral activity against murine norovirus as a surrogate for noro, in, in, in for their use in potential applications such as surface disinfection, including the use in clinical settings, or food sanitization. As such. A discussion of quantitative log-10 reductions following various periods of exposure is relevant. Oregano oil and uh, carvacarol both significantly reduced murine norovirus titers within 15 minutes of exposure. Um, And it was, uh, you know, right around one log reduction, respectively. Um, Despite this, though, the infectivity of murine norovirus treated with oregano oil remains stable over time. Um, And whereas... uh, uh, Carvacarol was far more effective at reducing um, uh, uh, um, deinfectivity, and uh, they had a almost a four log reduction uh, of more in norovirus in an hour of exposure. Okay, so that that's great. I mean that, that the paper is is notable. Um, it, it it's looking you know from you know, from a an objective side of things, what these individuals are looking for is, can I get something, can I get a compound that has some activity against uh, norovirus because norovirus is a problem? That is not how it played out in the both the um, University of Arizona press release and some coverage. Here are some of the things that I pulled from the coverage. University of Arizona researchers found an ingredient in pizza that could prevent suffering from winter vomiting disease such as norovirus or... If you feel guilty after eating a slice of pizza, a new study may help you feel better. An ingredient in oregano has been found to boost immunity, at least in laboratory cells. It didn't. Don, the paper didn't say that. Yeah, it's sad state of science reporting. I mean, it's yeah, it's just it's just horrible. And and I, I appreciate that you wrote this barf blog post. I th- I I saw um, uh, I saw the same sort of story come across my desk and and i'm i'm so glad that you blogged about it because this doesn't this doesn't help anyone no. right it doesn't it doesn't help the researchers promote their work uh it doesn't it doesn't give people it doesn't uh, just it just fails on so many levels it's just it's 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 worthless it's it, it it's worthless it it just uh just the- yeah. I'm speechless, and, Ben. <laughs> the paper's not worthless. It's how it was oh. covered is worthless. Oh, the, yeah. pa- the paper is fine. It's yeah. it's not like fantastic, but no. it's an interesting piece of work and we we do need to look at these I mean there's a lot of interest. There's always been a lot of interest in these natural antimicrobials and good for the good for these guys for doing this work. It's not it's not easy to work with 
murine norovirus. So, so good, good for them for doing it. But, but yeah, all of the, the press around it is just, it's just a, a lot of nonsense. Yeah. And what, what I came out with was, um, I guess a couple of things. One is murine norovirus. Oh, that's my phone. <laughs> Turn that off before we do a podcast, right? Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's the people from Arizona calling. It could be. There's listeners. David Thart. He's listening <laughs> right now. So he wants to call us on this. Um, uh, that murine norovirus and human norovirus are not the same virus. It's a surrogate, yes, right. but they're even talking with um, and, and seeing some of the stuff that, that you and I were uh, presented with at the uh, NoraCore annual meeting, there's quite a bit of de- debate with the, the hardcore virologists on whether it's even a good surrogate, especially when it comes to sanitizers, because it's got um, it, it, uh, isopropyl uh, and ethanol both can affect the virus, where we know with human norovirus that's not the case. So it, it's similar. It's just not the same. So when you start throwing out all these compounds to say, yes, this is going to matter, really what they're saying is it matters against murine norovirus, and you've got to let the oregano oil sit for 15 minutes to to have any effect. And it's that is not realistic. That's not really practical. That's um, and, and and it's not like it's not like pizza is a really good vehicle. I mean, that's I like, well, come back to the pizza, right? And, <laughs> and yeah, the other thing is, I'm pretty sure norovirus is not resistant to heat, so it's not right. going to be on pizza anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And, and if it was that the food handler who took my pizza off of the out of the tray has is a carrier and touches the outside of it, well, now I got to let my pizza sit there for for fifteen minutes to get a one log reduction of the virus. Well, and here's the thing: if if the if the guy has norovirus and he touched your pizza, he probably touched it on the bottom of the crust where there's there's not any of this oil anyway. Uh, it's so yeah. So what the, here's here's how I kind of concluded my post exposing a virus that sort of acts like human norovirus but sort of doesn't uh to carvacarol which is a component for 15 minutes you can get a one long reduction of infectivity after 15 minutes but it is not pizza protects you against norovirus which is what the coverage said right why do what I guess I don't know Maybe I'll answer my own question. My question is, why do we want stories of pizza will protect, protect us from norovirus? Like, why, why is that? Because that makes a good story, right? Like, that's, that's much better than, than what you and I just had a discussion on, that there's a piece of literature here that talks about an antimicrobial in, with, with a virus that isn't norovirus. And, and, and the authors don't really make the stretch. But, man, I, I actually blame – to me, it's the university um, – uh, I don't know, University Herald, which looks like it's from Arizona State or University of Arizona that really just jumped out all over this. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe I'm, yeah. Whoever it is, it's not a good job. No, I think we're going to blame the journalists on this one. Or and, and if the scientists had a chance to edit that press release and they didn't, shame on them too. But yeah, yeah I mean the whole thing is just – it's just – you know, I guess unfortunately it's complicated and it depends – um, <laughs> which are which are two phrases well known to people who listen to this podcast. Um, it's complicated and it depends. Does not uh, sell newspapers, right? But right. but gosh, you know, uh, let's uh, I don't know. Let's let's try to get the science right. And if it's a if it's somewhat more boring story and we get the science right, well, at least we got the science right. 
Uh, yeah. And and here to, just to uh, to come back to one of our um, time timeless um, beliefs. Um, I just went back to the original press release, and this is from. Um, it actually comes from you know someone at University of Kentucky. I don't know how it all works, but anyway, here's the title of it: Could Pizza Herb Prevent Winter Vomiting Disease? Question mark. Don. No is the answer. No. Always no. <laughs> what's the What's the name of that rule? Yeah, that's it. Oh no, but there's there's a person's name. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I, I'm just I, – basically, it's you. I don't know who the, who you've uh, taken this piece of information from. Uh, but, yes, if it's in a headline and they ask a question, the answer is always no. Betteridge's Law of Headlines. Good. There's, Excellent. It's, it's in Wikipedia. We'll link to it. And and even at the – okay, so just to, to go back to this press release. Oh, man. At the end, the bad news, colon – no amount of pizza could prevent norovirus, and quite apart from other negative health effects of a mainly pizza diet. <laughs> incredible. Concentrated carvacrol, although non-toxic, would be quite unpalatable, causing a burning sensation and the numbness of the tongue. And that, that's in the press release? It's in the press release. And they, and they also <sighs> use uh, um, uh, Doug Powell's favorite punctuation mark at the end of that. <laughs> Causing a burning sensation in the numbness of the tongue. Oh, God. So um, anyway, that was my that was my pizza thing. Nice. And, and you can't have bad pizza, but you can have bad press about pizza. Oh, I've had some bad pizza in my day, but it was still pizza. It was. Uh, I need a, I need a sip of something after that. I get all I got all fired up, Don. About pizza. Um, hey, so are you watching House of Cards? <laughs> that didn't go anywhere, did it? Is your microphone off? <laughs> Sorry, the answer is no. I'm not oh, watching House of Cards. You should watch that. It's great. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's all I have for that part. Okay. It's not in the notes. Okay. Um, uh, I had something else I wanted to talk about. Okay. Which is oh okay so let's talk about well, bueno, oh you, well, what do you want to talk about you know th- this is kind of related to this this stupid pizza story which is the next one in the notes there um, the Washington Post reprints university press releases without editing them this seems seems like a bad idea um, yeah so and this is something that uh, I came across I forget where I came across it but uh, somebody points me to this and I'm reading now from the from uh, Andrew Gelman's uh, uh, blog and in fact I've actually started following this blog now I don't know where I first saw it but it's a it's a guy named uh, Andrew Gelman who's a statistician and his the name of his blog well it's it's andrewgelman.com and we'll link to it in the show notes um, the title of the the blog has the incredibly sexy, um, and by incredibly sexy I mean not um, title, statistical modeling, causal infer- inference, and social science. Um, uh, but but basically uh, the the headline of the the blog post is Was- the Washington Post reprints university press releases without editing them. And this is Andrew writing here. Somebody points me to this, and there's a link, horrifying expose by Paul Rayburn on a new series by the Washington Post where they reprint press releases as if they are actual news. 
And the gimmick is, and here, and the reason why it's appearing on this blog, meaning Gelman's blog, is that these are university press releases on science stories. What could possibly go wrong there? So, I mean, and again, we'll just leave it to people to 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 read this. But it just it just goes it pairs nicely, as they say, with the uh, with the the Carvacarol, um norovirus because it's just like. I mean, it's it's just journalism is is in such sorry state today, and it's it's like they're going to cheat people on quality, but they're going to make up for it in volume by giving them more things. It's just, and it's you know it's kind of like this stuff we've talked about before the idiotic you know uh, twelve ways to cook something with right. utensils you didn't believe in your kitchen. I mean, it's just like. I mean, it just it's just the the churn machine, just needing to churn out content with 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 no thought for quality or anything, and and you know, and the other the other thing, and I, I forget where I said this. I said this to somebody recently. It might have been it might have been to to you in an email. I am just absolutely sick and tired of these news stories that don't actually show me where the story came from. Like link me to the primary literature so that I can read the story for myself and interpret whether it makes any sense. Just just stop doing that. Stop talking about stuff without giving me a link to the primary literature because it's just uh, it's just irritating as hell. Well, and because the internet allows for that. It's not a hard problem. Right. It's not a hard problem to do anymore. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like you can't if, – if I pick up something at the newsstand or in a magazine, it's really difficult for you to tell me. I can't click on – I've I've tried. I've tried to put my finger on that print like I would if it was my iPad. Well, And, and it and, doesn't take me to another page. And you could you could in the body of the – you could use a footnote and you could yeah. give the full citation. But nobody wants to do that and it takes space. But you're absolutely right, Ben. It's the internet. It's, it's made internet. to link stuff. Yeah, that's the point. Um, yeah. I, so – but the first part of, uh, uh, of your – your comment around um, uh, the content churning uh, side of things is, I think your your comments, your your lamenting. Uh, let me, I, what I Don, since we're doing group therapy, what I hear you saying is you're lamenting the days where it wasn't being churned out, and um, and, and and that that is that's true. I my. The way that I'm kind of looking at stuff or I have for the last year or so is, okay, how do we become part of that then? How do we get a food safety BuzzFeed, you know, uh, quiz? How do we, how do we do, if, you know, kind of saying, all right, it's, that's the way it is. And it's obviously working for the websites that are generating interest. People are, are out there, um, gobbling up that content. So, so let's be, let's jump in and be part of it. I don't know how to do that, but that, that to me seems to be where we need to go with our, um, with our messages fight back. Um, it, you know, we, we, we have to figure out how to be, how, how to fit what the internet consumer is consuming and, 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 and not yeah. lose our souls in the process. Right. right? right I mean, that's, yeah. that's the whole reason why that's, Merlin stopped doing 43 folders. He, thought that he was he created this genre of life hack blogging and so people were reading about how to hack their lives and not and and you know it's like like his famous quote about uh buying a uh oh, I'm going to butcher it but um uh ugh. anyway I'll, I'll I'll look for it because I I don't want to misquote him but but you know how how do we do that Ben and not lose our souls and unfortunately I think that what works is 
you know, link bait, clickbait headlines. Yeah. Bo- you know, baloney, you know, bull crap headlines, um, that, that just say the sky is falling. And one of the other, one of the other, uh, bloggers that I read on a regular basis is a guy, uh, that goes by the, uh, pseudonym, uh, the Macalope who, who blogs about Apple and about all these anti-Apple journalists who always get stuff wrong about Apple. And, and it just, he just spends week after week skewering them, um, you know, with all the nonsense that they're, that they're, they're saying. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the way it's negative, but maybe the way to do it is to call out poor practices. But then, but then again, you become part of that, that negativity. So, and I don't know how to, I mean, the problem is if you did it the way that you should do it by producing a quality product and and writing intelligent stories and engaging people, you're not going to be nearly as successful. That, 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 that I think is, is the, is the heart of the matter is that the best practices using my Richard fingers there, the best practices for engaging people are also despicable and, (laughs) you know, and, and, and that, and, and I'm not, I'm not sure, not sure what you do other than not be despicable and do your very best to do a good job and be willing to not be hugely popular. Uh, But then again, you know, things, things can happen like uh, our, our colleague, Jennifer Quinlan at Drexel, who, who, Obviously, struck a nerve with her very well done uh, right. uh, bit piece on not washing chicken in your sink. So there, there still are issues that will ignite people and will quote unquote go viral. I hate that expression, but but that will uh, get you know sudden popularity on the internet. And so I don't know, Ben. I'm conflicted. I don't want to yeah. lose my soul. No, I I don't want to lose my soul either. But I also want to. I, I think it's worth us investigating, you know, to figure out how we can be part of that world. And, and I mean, that, I, I, it's like totally not even, you know, my idea or, uh, or sort of that, that was why we started barf blog in, in the first place was, um, well, one was we wanted to see if we could gather some, we, we wanted people to tell us stories about where they vomited and when they vomited and what they thought was causing them to, to get sick. So we could maybe, um, impact that and, and tell, um, and and to have a discussion about it. But, but ultimately that's, I mean, that, that's where, where I kind of find myself. Um, I I guess that that's what I, what I try to do is, is go to where people are already talking about or what seems to be successful and see how I can insert and be part of it. And I mean, at, at some sense, that's kind of what we, what the podcast is about. I mean, as much as it's just for you and I to do our group therapy and listen to it ourselves, but I mean, it's, it's that there is a hole, there is a vacuum in the world of podcasting around food safety related discussion in this type of format. Um, and so we try to, we try to fill it or we try to do something about it. And I, I think you're, you're exactly right though, that there's this line between, um, playing, in let me let me get some analogies on this or cliches there's there's some there there's a line between playing at the same place as everyone else versus playing the exact same game and and we've got to figure out how we can how we can be there and and do it in a way that that fits what you know the the rigor of what we do in in, in science and in in the same kind of way and and also i mean let's let's give a an example uh, on this the 
um, the reusable bag stuff that I've been harping about for three years is exactly that's the kind of attention grabbing stuff. And you can go back to, you know, ep- episode six or nine or whatever when I first started talking about this and I've blogged about it a bunch. But but that's a um, you you look at the group at um, uh, the University of Arizona that that does a lot of the stuff. Chuck Gerba's group that says, OK, there's bacteria everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, what does it mean is a, is a much bigger, more in-depth story that I, that I want to be part of telling. Just saying that it's there is going to grab the headlines. So, so how do we, how do, I, I don't know, how do we accomplish both of those, those things and not, I mean, and, and do something that's, that's useful. Yeah. I, I, li- I like the analogy of you need to go play where the big kids are playing, right? But you need to play your own game. And yeah. not and not play that game. I agree. I just came up with that just now. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm, so I'm, someone probably already tweeted it. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but oh, the, and the quote the quote that I was looking for was was a tweet uh, from Merlin who who writes uh, joining a Facebook group about creative productivity is like buying a chair about jogging. <laughs> you know. It's, it's yes. not, uh, you know, and then he has another great one about the the guy sitting there in his track track suit, putting his sneakers on, uh, uh, stuffing his face with uh, bonbons or, or donuts, and and reading Runner's World and screaming more tips, more tips, you know, like uh, like he needs more tips on running. No, you just need to go out there and run, right? So, um, and like maybe we're maybe we're doing it, you know, maybe we're out there um, uh, figuring it out in in real time here on the podcast. I, you know, I think we are. I mean, this is um, I, I, the last week. It's always kind of nice to get away and, and and sit back and reflect and get out of your your day to day kind of kind of life. And and when you get to do that, um, you know, like I did last week, we're at a couple of, I guess, low impact mind things. You know, the um, the meeting that you and I were at last last Monday, as well as um, the talk I gave Thursday, didn't it? It, it didn't require me to concentrate a whole lot. But at the same time, Doug and I have been working on this paper around um, social media and food safety and, and everyone, everyone, let's not, I won't generalize. There are lots of people talking about how to do what you and I are currently doing on this podcast. And there aren't a lot of people doing it, you know, that, so, so I think we are um, trying to, to figure some of this stuff out in real time. And, and even though we're doing it, we still don't know whether it matters. You know, that, that's the next piece. And, and I'll give you the where I kind of arrived at this um, as part of what I spoke about at, at the GFSI meeting on Thursday. Um, I, I, was, I was asked to, to be part of a panel um, on uh, qualitative uh, uh, using qualitative methodology to – oh, my children are screaming in the background. Sorry. Um, <laughs> To use qualitative methodology, they're, they're quieter than my snowplow. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, uh, to use qualitative uh, methods to describe what's going on in, uh, you know, in a food service setting or in a retail setting. So, and so, so um, one group uh, has done some work. So, Sealed Air, um, Diversity, that group worked with target to do some, uh, qualitative analysis and, uh, they did some observation 
and they did some ethnography, which is a really cool format where someone sits and is part of the system is, is ask people how, you know, to, to describe to me how, you know, show me how you clean that. Um, and, and sits in there not as, as an inspector or a supervisor or anybody, but is just trying to gather information about to how something is done uh, and have somebody show it. So so I, I wasn't part of that project at all, and it happened a couple of years ago. But what I was uh, kind of fortunate enough on, uh, on this one was they showed me the data. They showed me the what they found, and I just got to, you know, do the analysis. What would if I was presented with this data? What would I what would I do with it, or what would I say about it? And um, so I got thinking about this kind of stuff that we're talking about in social media and, and not being able to measure it where we're where we're at. Ninety nine percent of what we do uh, on metrics of performance standards is quantitative. We're measuring things. We've got some sort of criteria. We've got a. Um, a, a set amount of you know time that someone's supposed to wash their hands, or you know we're we're measuring something with numbers, and that helps us a lot in the sense that it helps us prioritize what goes wrong and what goes right, and the things that go wrong more often are the things that we need to focus on more with you know with some with something, but what the qualitative world does is it allows you to. It tells you more about those things. So you have the priorities from the quantitative. The qualitative helps you describe the situation. It tells you why is it going wrong. Tell me exactly what what does wrong mean. Um, you know, where, where can you describe the the process of what's going on wrong with this qualitative data? And and that so you'll you'll see how this all connects in a second. But that that piece is not there's not a lot of that in the literature. And so when I was tasked with this this job, I guess, of, of taking this qualitative data and saying, what would you do with it? Even to go to the literature to say, when someone else has been given a bunch of qualitative data and they changed something, what did they did? What did they do? There's not even literature on that. Like we're at the we're 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 in a a, a bit of a, a a blank landscape on on this area that that's like social media, where where we can really create what we want and try things out, but we're not to the point, we're at the point where people are just describing it now, not at the point where, where we have real good data on efficacy on any of this stuff. So I hope I'm not like, you know, rambling too much here, but I guess that's, you know, spending, spending three days away and and thinking about this stuff more and more, it's like, okay. And and it's about, it's, it's like Merlin. It's, it's not about describing what, what we could be doing with social media, people have to just go do it and and then let's see what works. Right, right. And that's and that's part of the the reason for having a podcast. I mean, I've heard other podcasters talk about this is that podcasting is kind of like working your ideas out. It's not the same as the finished published manuscript. It's not the same as the work product, but it's 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 working things out in real time, talking with another person. And because it's a podcast, we get to share that discussion with everybody else and then they can chime in and, and, and be part of that discussion. And, and you, you shared a little bit of that with me, I think, when we met in San Diego about this project. And, and yeah, and to me, that's one of the most exciting things that, you know, to maybe try to end on a positive note um, about this connected world that we live in is we have opportunities 
to collaborate because of the internet, because of the ubiquity of communication that we've never had before. The, one of the things that I was working on today uh, before I, I joined you on the podcast, and we've talked about this a little bit before, and we've talked about it some in, in our, our, our Writing Buddies Club, is I've got this collaboration uh, with the uh, EHI net people at, uh, at CDC um, where they went and surveyed a bunch of restaurants and got cooling data, uh, uh, best practice or cooling practices. And I'm, you know, they, they collected the data, but I'm kind of the, the modeling expert. And so I've been taking that and playing around with it. And we're finally, finally, finally ready to go back to the final round of edits uh, of this, the CDC gatekeepers that are going to, you know, let us approve or going to hopefully approve this so we can submit it to, for publication. But that opportunity never would have come about if I hadn't had some chance meetings with people and because of the ease of presenting and sharing stuff and collaborating with people, you know, all over the country. And so whenever those opportunities come along, uh, you know, you never know where they're going to take you. And sometimes they don't go anywhere. And sometimes they go to a really interesting place, like being able to do this work that I couldn't have done without them and, and, and they couldn't have done without me. So, so, I mean, you know, it is, maybe we're making progress and, you know, maybe it's not as fast as we'd like or, as easy as we'd like, but, but, you know, in the long run, if you keep at it, uh, eventually, you know, stuff will happen. Good stuff will happen. Yeah. It's, it, I don't know where, where it came from or if it's just Doug. It, no, it might've been from Merlin as well about writing and some of the stuff that, that he's talked on that is, um, you know, way back, you know, three years ago, four years ago, when I first got into that, that world of, of productivity on, you know, his, his strategies of, okay, go set, you know, an hour aside and for 50 minutes, you're going to go sit down and write. And what that means is you're going to sit down at the keyboard and move your hands. You know, it doesn't matter what you're, what, what comes out, right? but you have to do it. And then the only way that, that you know, whether it works or not is you have to do it. You can't just talk about it um, or, or think about it or plan to do it. Um, right. You actually have to, you know, physically, physically do it. And I guess, I mean, that's the, that's one of the frustrating things it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing is that i think that that sometimes you know our 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 little group we're we're doing some of this stuff the frustrating part is that not everyone is doing it <laughs> right like like it's it's good that 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 we're doing it we can we can help shape this but but i'd love it if there was five other food safety talk like podcasts out there that people were trying to do other things um or or other blogs um that that are doing a good job on um on putting information out there uh and uh, this this is coming off like we're the only ones and we're so good at it that's not the case at all i feel like we're 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 there needs to be more of us because if there are more then we'll all we'll all be better right right exactly um you may hear something in the background now which is a vacuum cleaner (laughs) because i i think that there's vacuuming going on in my house awesome yeah so uh um, uh, that's, that's where we're at. So I don't know how, uh, how loud that is, but I, I can hear it a little bit. Okay. Um, so what, uh, I, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about today. Oh yeah. And, and this is another question, I guess, for you. Um, we, we spent a little bit of time last week at, um, the, uh, American frozen foods, it frozen food Institute, 
uh, meeting, and a couple of things came up around labeling and consumer handling um, issues. And um, I, the so just so so everyone kind of knows, there, there's this concept in in frozen. It's not just in frozen foods; it's in raw foods and frozen foods of either that's a ready to eat food or it's a ready to cook food. And if it's ready to cook food, then we need to let people know that it's ready to cook food. We have to tell them how to do it. And we have to give them some sort of validated process on how to do it and give them all the right, you know, the right tools to be able to do it so they can reduce the risk of that product. It's similar. So that, that concept is, you know, is, is for, for whatever reason for, for history has been linked to labeling, right? Like that's the, that's the vehicle that we get. Uh, people information is they buy a product that has a package on that package. We're going to give some sort of information on it. And in the, um, in the meeting that you and I were at, someone mentioned um, the very truth of even when stuff's on labels, people don't do it. Don't follow the label directions um, uh, as a consumer. And in the example that was given uh, or, or was one of the examples that was brought up was around um, uh Nestle Toll House cookies and uh, E. coli one five seven eight seven outbreak that happened in two thousand and nine. I think it was um, the spring of two thousand and nine, where uh, a bunch of kids got sick specifically from eating raw cookie dough. And the th- this is what, what I wrote a note down that I wanted to talk to you about on the podcast about it when we were sitting in that meeting because someone mentioned, well, the label of that product said, you know, cook it. And for, you know, for safety, which is actually kind of what it says now, but apparently, or I mean, not apparently at the time, what that, what that label said was enjoy after heating. <laughs> yeah. I love, and I love just to get little inside baseball for people who are, who are listening in. So Ben and I are in this meeting. Um, uh, we're, we're sitting next to each other and, uh, although, although we don't have to be, cause sometimes we text, right. uh, but we're sitting next to each other and somebody says, well, you know, consumers is something like, well, consumers, you know, don't always follow directions. Those, those cookies that were involved in the outbreak said, uh, you know, heat before eating or something. And Ben leads over to me and says, that's not what they said. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. It was great. Prices. <laughs> but, but that, okay. So, so here's the, here's the question. Um, and this is, this is definitely in, in, you know, in, in my world and it has to do with restaurant grades as well. And that's where, where I put a note in the, the notes file here for us was, okay, so if we want somebody to do something, how do we get them to do it and how do we communicate that best? And, and what if labels aren't the best way to do it? Like, what if it's something else? And I don't know what that something else is. I mean, labels are convenient because we know they're on packages or we can put stuff on packages. Or what if the label, the form that the label is in has to be different? It's not compelling enough because that's the problem. That's the issue. Maybe it's and um, in the whole kind of esoteric way that I've been looking at these YouTube videos, if people, if millions and millions of people are going to YouTube videos about how to cook burgers and not reading the package of the burger itself, then maybe we shouldn't waste our time on trying to figure out what the best label is. Maybe we should figure out how to make the best possible YouTube video. Um, right. Or, or instead of saying, well, we need to educate consumers about our product. How are we going to fix the label? Yeah. Ask a different question. The question should be, how are consumers learning about how to use our product? And then let's go there. <laughs> right. I- Yes, that absolutely. That a hundred percent is, is, is what, uh, yeah, 
is, is what I'm getting at. Um, I, uh, uh, since the, um, the last couple of grad students that I've had, have had communications focus a little bit in their projects. So they're not just looking at, um, practices, but, but there's a component of intervention and, um, and the, that's communications based. And, and I've, I've just kind of fallen into meeting a couple of people on our campus, a guy named Andy Binder, um, who's a communications uh, media specialist, media media researcher, and Anne McLaughlin, who does behavioral psychology. Having the two of them sit in on these graduate student committees as committee members is amazing because we've been talking about, you know, we're, we're having these conversations around this, you know, these students' committees. And... Um, the student brings up the concept of labels and warning labels on menus, and and, and you know Andy is kind of like, well, the literature says that labels don't work, so why are we wasting our time? And I'm like, well, I mean that's that's awesome. That we're we're talking about changing the paradigm of the food industry because that's where we're putting it all, and mm-hmm. it's not even just the food industry; it's the regulatory world because that's where those label you know, guidance documents or requirements are. So it's kind of like if we know if the literature for, for communication shows that it doesn't work, then we've got to do a better job bringing those communication folks into our, our world of food safety practices. Like it's, it's totally, so yeah, you're, I mean, you, you characterize it exactly. How do we, I'm asking so many questions this week. Um, (laughs) it seems like we need some some sort of leadership to do that to to have that that conversation that says that okay so we put a lot of a weight into labels well they might not work and the literature says they don't work so what do we do next how do we how, how do people learn about products that's a better way for us to start looking at this yeah yeah ex- exactly oh, thanks don it's been such a good like um, therapy session today. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like we're making progress, Ben. Thanks. I was, I was really hoping you'd say that at the end today. <laughs> I know it's been a while since I've made a breakthrough, but today I feel like I'm I'm making some progress. Yeah, but you know it, it's tough because we get we get talking, and it it's like I get depressed, you know, I, about like the state of of the food safety world and how we're going to make it better, but then. You know, usually, usually we, we, we figure out some way to turn it around at the end and, and make a, le- a little bit of progress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and just a little, just a little movement. Um, hey, so uh, I don't know if, uh, if you've got anything else. That's, that's all I got on my list today. No, I think I'm good. Well, I think that's a show. All right. Um, so, oh, oh, no, no, there are two things. One other thing. Hang on, okay. hang on. Um, as always, we always like to highlight uh, at the end of or the start of the show, ask people to rate us in uh, our show on iTunes. We say that almost every time. For like the longest time, no one was rating us. And then uh, I, maybe it's been our raw milk notoriety that we've had a couple of new listeners. But there are two new um, uh, ratings on iTunes. And they're all they're five stars, so so it's awesome. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So let me let me just read them real quick because I think you'll be interested in them. One from Axon K. Uh, this is an excellent podcast from professionals who have worked with farmers as well as individuals from industry and government to promote food safety. They also do a good job of analyzing good and bad social media outreach because communication is also important in this area. Most importantly. 
they rely on evidence informing their opinions, which I appreciate. So thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thumbs up for evidence. Yes. And then from – and that was uh, – the, the title of that review was Best Evidence-Based Food Safety Podcast. Yeah. Oh, uh- well, that's not true. There are there are other there are other evidence based food safety podcasts. They're just uh, they're just scripted. Right. <laughs> we're we're the best and only unscripted food safety podcast based on evidence. With no scrubber in between you and me and the listeners. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the the next uh, rating is from DD DDS race fans. Um, so uh, big, I think, in the NASCAR. Uh, world we are we are which uh might surprise you uh, <laughs> but i am i do live in north carolina so it doesn't surprise me at all uh the uh title is listen learn and laugh five stars and the uh the rating which is great be careful you just might learn something oh awesome <laughs> so uh thanks for for those uh for the feedback uh from uh um uh, MJR and uh, Dina uh, for get, giving us some uh, some great feedback to talk about today, uh, and uh, keep this stuff coming in. And uh, you know, if there's anything that you want us to talk about, especially in relation to the old bug trivia, the old IAFP history of IAFP, the new um, uh, outbreak flashback, um, then send us a, a link or uh, or a document, and we'll start uh, we'll start talking about that. Don, as always, it's a pleasure. Absolutely, thanks for, Ben. Thanks for getting on with me today. Thanks for uh, uh, for being my for being my rock. <laughs> I, I almost heard you say thanks. Thanks for getting on with me. Yeah, today. it's almost what I said. It's almost, and then uh, I didn't know what to do after that. Weird. Glad we're not in the same room today. So we, I won't have to actually see you face to face for a while. So it's okay if you if you did see me, I'd uh, I'd be blushing. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye, man. Bye, bye, bye. That was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, my it's good. I'm glad we're in this group. If I have like an hour to just think about what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. I do so much better hmm. instead of trying to catch up and mm-hmm. read. Like I was able to read through everything. So that was – it worked out nicely today. Good. Okay, so I did – did I do audio for this? No. I can't remember what I did for the last one. You did audio for the last one. Oh, okay. So I have show notes for this one. Right. It's so long ago. I mean, we posted yeah. an episode two weeks ago.
It's crazy. Yeah. You're all over that. All over that. So I'll do the audio on this one. Um, you were you were you broke up a couple of times. You were a little bit robotic, but I think it'll be fine. I wonder why that is. Dropbox is off. Who knows? It could be Danny was uploading Instagram pictures. Mm, could be. <laughs> that does. It, Instagram has a total drag on our network. Hmm. Only uploading. Like it's not. We have no problems downloading. It's only uploads that that are the issue here. Because hmm. I can I can stream. Uh, you know, a hockey game and two Netflix yeah. shows on the iPad. But as soon as Danny uploads something on Instagram, it's like yeah. it might, you know, things chug out. So Yeah. Well, and, and that's what your audio to me is, is your upload. Right. So, right. Exactly. um, yeah, we, we have, uh, we've got, uh, Verizon Fios here. And so it's, uh, it's 60 down, which is great. And it's only 20 up. So, so that would be the, would be the limitation. So, Hey, speaking of pictures, um, I want to, I want to plug an app that I learned about on another podcast, um, uh, which is called Picture Life. Have you heard of Picture Life? No. So basically, a lot of the nerds that take a lot of pictures with their eye devices are worried that there's no like like Apple gives you some amount of backup in iCloud, but it doesn't back up all of your pictures. Mm. And then there was this really cool app that uh, I don't know whose name I forget, um, but that went out of business because they just couldn't get enough users fast enough to to kind of make it work. Um, but so what picture life is, is a, an app that basically, uh, will upload all of your photos from all of your devices, including stuff from your pictures folder on your Mac or your, you know, your camera roll from your iPhone or, or from your iPad. And, and basically it's, you get a certain amount for free and then you get, there's like a me, inter, intermediate plan. I think that's $7 a month. And then there's a full plan that's like $15 a month. But, uh, anyway, if you, if that's something that is a concern to you, um, that's cool. yeah. uh, you might want to check that out. I, uh, I've just got the free one right now. Um, but, uh, anyway, I think I learned about it on, uh, on Gruber's uh, talk show podcast. So if you head over there, you can probably get a coupon cold coupon code for 30% off or something. So sweet. Yeah. That is cool. Thanks. Picture life. Picture life. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I got nothing like after darky all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I got nothing mm-hmm. for you. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Picture life. That's cool. I'll I'll give a double double thumbs up to that as I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> okay. Good. There's there's this like scare of really bad weather here, as I mentioned. Oh, so I had to pick more... Jack up. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, like early yeah. from school. Yeah, huh. yeah, and uh, and it's fine. I mean, there's it's there was some sleet that came down, but. Um, it, we dropped from like I told you in that text. It was mm. seventy four yesterday, and I got up this morning. It was fifty one, and when I picked him up at eleven thirty, it was thirty seven. Wow! Yeah, it was crazy. <clears throat> yeah, the the forecast for today was all over the place. It was like uncertain and then it was like well it's going to be six inches to a foot and then it was up and down from that um <clears throat> turns out i think i mean this there was a bad storm coming across the country you know west to east but it just went south of us um and so i think dc is kind of hammered now yeah um but uh yeah and but and i and i tried to uh i tried to find out about it <laughs> on uh using my information phone and i asked siri um and uh she, she couldn't tell me <laughs> 
And I, so I posted about it on Facebook. She's she's uncertain as well. What, what was it? I, I, she said something like, I, Don, I don't have that kind of information. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Siri. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, oh, then, uh, yeah. And then uh, let me see if I can find it because it was pretty it was pretty funny. No. Uh, oh, Facebook is so stupid. Why Why can't I just find what I wrote on Facebook? Oh, I don't know. Well, you can, but it's never in the right spot. Oh, and it keeps changing. Well, that you you sound like one of them. See now, if I if I click Don, oh here we go. Yes. Um, so I asked Siri. I said so because this is fascinating. Sweat people tune in. Um, how, how much snow did Washington D.C. get last night? Because I was, you know, I was curious. I had friends in Washington D.C. And Siri says, "Sorry, Don, I can't get past weather information." And so I said, "That's okay. Thanks for trying." And Siri says, "My pleasure, as always." Oh, well, that was sweet. Ah. <laughs> oh, Cool. <laughs> and then there's a lot of very funny comments from my Facebook friends. I'm going to have to jump uh, on some Facebook. Um, okay. Well, um, thanks. So I think that's a, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. I think you're, I think you're right. Now, once we start reading our own Facebook comments. <laughs> it's a, it's a we, long, long, yeah. dark, uh, dark journey. It's you, we've moved. It's a different type of podcast at that point. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna join a, a productivity group, <laughs> and then and then I'm gonna buy a chair to help me with my jogging. Do what do you think about? Maybe we should just start a Facebook group for the podcast, but just you and I, and just tips on how to podcast. <laughs> That's good. I, I like, like that. Uh, do do more more vacuuming in the background. More <laughs> more snow plows. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was so just. Uh, you were, you were talking at the end for a while and mm-hmm. it was perfect because, so I have, I, I have a double, double firewall to get into my, my office when I record at home. Uh-huh. So uh, my office is off our bedroom. Uh-huh. So I locked uh-huh. a bedroom door and yeah. I locked my office door. Oh, perfect. And I locked the, the bedroom door and I, turns out I did not lock my office door uh-huh. today before I came uh-huh. in. Um, and I guess Danny had opened the bedroom door and Sam comes in <laughs> and opens the door and you're talking and he's like, he, he like hits the microphone like this and I'm like, Oh no, how do I get you out of here? So I just like, he, he just got bored after he wasn't, he couldn't even hear you. So he wasn't bored. He just got bored. And he's like, are you talking? Are you talking on the microphone? And I was like, no. Shh, shh, shh. And then he just left and I locked the door and he was fine. <laughs> So I didn't know I was – all this was going through in my head. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to get it? Okay, Don, uh, Don, just hang on. Hold that thought. Just pause. We'll come back. But you were going and it was great. So I was like, okay, maybe maybe I can get away with this. And it worked. Oh, so, so, how, how, so if you lock the bedroom door, how does Danny get in? Does she have like a – Oh, there's a, there's a key. There's a, okay. It's not, yeah, it's not a very – we have like you know the standard um, – new home mm-hmm. houses where you can lock the door, but it's this little, you it's press just like a, a screwdriver or something. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And you can, you can just turn it. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, so she, she must've had to get something in the bedroom and then, um, and then left it open. And then he, he came in, but he was, he was out. So he's special. Um, so today's podcast, special appearance, uh, on, uh, you know, credited, but unheard. Right. Right. Walk on. Walk on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I'll uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Sounds good, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.